Uh, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Zach. I am the college ministry director here, uh, which basically is just a really fancy term for I get to hang out with college students all the time, and it's a lot of fun. Pretty much is what my job is. <laughs> Pretty sweet job. Um, but yeah, so that's who I am. Uh, and I mean, my message this morning has really been uh, started by Joe and then continued with Amber. <laughs> they both have addressed points in what I'm going to be talking about today. And today we're just continuing this fall series, Come and Go. Such a catchy name. I mean, I think most series, I kind of forget what the title is and I just go week by week and just, oh yeah, that's what we're doing. But this message, I feel like this series, so many people have been like, oh yeah, it's come and go. Like, I remember that. And so that's pretty cool. And so shout out to Andy. Andy's the one who came up with the, the series name for that. But like I mentioned, I work on the college campus for the most part, especially when we don't have COVID. Then I'm on there a lot more often. Now it's, I'm kind of on there, but I have to be careful because I want to respect the authority that they have there. But as I'm working on campus, I get a little bit of a glimpse into what America is like outside of Whitewater because everyone brings in their, their opinions, their preferences, what they were doing at home, they bring it here. Uh, I think over the summer, there was a lot of stuff going on in America, obviously, and I almost felt like I had an escape from it, a retreat from it just by living here because we didn't have to face some of those uh, things that were going on in the world, but I get a little bit of a glimpse on the campus, and I've noticed it throughout the week, and some of those things are the pandemic, right? Fun fact, we're still in it. That's why you guys are wearing all these cool masks, which, by the way, so great to see that we're getting more and more creative. Uh, I think week one, I was look, or Kevin was looking out, I was looking out on worship, and I was seeing a lot of surgical masks. If you still have those, that's totally cool. I think that they're becoming in style because I see them everywhere. Um, but I, I love that we're getting more creative, so that's really cool. But so that's going on on campus. Rules are changing, restrictions are changing, and I think America is also doing that. Another thing is racial tension, right? That's still very much going on. There are protests going on on campus. I feel like every day, almost every hour. I see them all the time. Uh, they're walking, they have signs, and that's going on in the world and in America. And then the political unrest, uh, there's signs everywhere. Biden 2020, Trump 2020, uh, the different uh, banners, flags, all kinds of stuff. You see it everywhere in town. Even you don't, This one is one that I guess you don't necessarily see on campus as much. You just hear people talk about it a lot. And so the the nation, we're trying to navigate three pretty major things all at once. And all three are quite polarizing at the same time. <laughs> Each one has different sides and we're all feel like we need to pick a side because if you don't pick a side, then you're not engaged enough or you feel guilted to do one side or the other. And it's really causing America to suffer, right? And I think as a part of that, that the church itself, and I mean the world as well, but the world just doesn't know it as well as the church does, is we're facing something much worse, which is distraction. <laughs> we are tempted 24-7, whether it's our phones or the TV screen or um, uh, I guess your laptop if you're watching YouTube or something. Uh, there's ads, there is stuff all the time on the news of this is what's going on in the world. And all of it distracts us. It takes our eyes and our ears off of the Lord and it puts them on devices. Or um, Kevin talked last week about authority. Like whoever you place your trust in has an authority to speak into your life. 
right? And so what we believe a lot of times comes from who do we trust, right? So some of us trust Fox News. Some of us trust MSNBC. And who knows that we can walk away with two very different concepts of what's going on in the world if you watch those two, right? That's what we're talking about. And when we have this type of pressure and these complications, that leads us to feeling overwhelmed a lot, especially me. Uh, I was a kid who never watched the news because I didn't really care. And then when I became an adult, my grandparents told me, you need to be educated. You need to know what's going on. And in my attempts to do that, I feel overwhelmed. Uh, I feel uh, confused. I feel like I don't know what to do moving forward. Um, And that can lead us running to God. And that does happen sometimes when I'm on Facebook and I see a video that irks me, I'll go to the Lord and I'll pray because I don't know what else to do. But I'll just, uh, honestly, that's the least common thing that I do. The most common thing that I do is I get defensive. Uh, I start arguing with people who I know feel differently than I do. I start to get upset inside before I even act on it. I start to get emotionally upset and worked up about it. And then I, I either isolate myself from people because I know either I feel differently or something, or I spark arguments with people because I like to argue and I'm uh, okay at arguing with people. <laughs> and I just, after realizing these things today and talking with some people about it, I'm just curious, how did the, how did the Lord want his disciples to act? You know, how did Jesus want his disciples to react to the world? Because I think that when Jesus was walking on this earth, that it wasn't all peachy keen. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that it wasn't, right? So the disciples had to face hardship. And what did did the Lord want from them to do? And so kind of our hallmark verse for this series, you saw it last week and we're going to do it again. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And um, just a disclaimer, and Amber kind of mentioned it in short, uh, you guys are all, for the most part, disciples of Jesus, right? What are the qualifications to be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, If you have prayed and declared that he is your Savior, that he is your Lord, if you have committed and put your trust in your life in him, like Joe had mentioned that we do, you're a disciple, right? So you're in the boat. You're in the boat. That means that this Romans verse applies to you. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. It's not just for pastors or the spiritual elite. It's for all of us. We're all disciples of Jesus. And then I didn't put these in the slides because we went over them last week as well. But this whole come and go series comes from Matthew. Um, Come and follow me. You hear Jesus say that to the disciples when he's first calling them in Matthew 4. And then in Matthew 9, he talks about that there is a, a harvest that there's a bountiful harvest, but their workers are few. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard that verse. Um, but so he, t- he talks about sending out workers or the Great Commission, sending out, go out, telling all nations. And so through reading Matthew, just Matthew alone, and reading the Gospels, uh, we decided that every disciple of Jesus, we came to this, not decided, we realized that every disciple of Jesus needs to come before him and then go out and share that, Right? and go out to the world. And so the big question that we're trying to answer with this series is where do I stand as a disciple? Where do I stand as a disciple of Jesus? Because you are one if you've accepted him. So if you are a disciple, where do you stand as one? And so we have a couple things that we can look at, um, some different areas. And so today, 
as disciples of Jesus, by the way, I just want you guys to repeat that first before we move on. Just say, I am a disciple of Jesus. Man, yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> it's going to take a little bit for me to get used to the, uh, the monotone, same level murmuring. So let's spice it up a little bit. Give me some kind of like spice. Say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but don't say it all the same way. Okay, that was, that's better. That's better. It doesn't make me feel as weird, I guess. <laughs> but so today we're going to be talking about the missing gospel. That's the title of our message. Those of you taking notes and you want to put that on the top, put the, the missing gospel. If you want to do like a little star next to it, color, I don't know, whatever keeps you entertained works for me. Uh, and so today, today we're talking about the missing gospel. Do we really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, how do, and some questions, how do we follow and grow to experience him? How do we learn to share with that experience with others and point them to Jesus? And how do we do that both come to him and tell others in a way that's personal and real and not uh, head knowledge and not religious, right? And so uh, we got this title for the message from a book, and the book is called Gospel, right? Pretty good name for a book. Uh, it's called Gospel. It's by J.D. Greer. And I'm going to read a little section of it. And this is just addressing the gospel head knowledge versus uh, relationship. It's not on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen up, y'all. Here we go. And it says this, There is a difference in knowing that honey is sweet and having that sweetness burst alive in your mouth. Being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing, but having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. The gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. The goal of the gospel is not just that we pass some kind of test by accurately recounting the importance of Jesus. The goal of the gospel is to produce a type of people consumed with passion for God and love for others. Being converted to Jesus is not just about learning to obey some rules. Being converted to Jesus is learning to so adore God that we would gladly renounce everything that we have to follow him. I'm going to read that last little section again. Uh, if I keep speaking up here, you're going to realize I like to repeat stuff because that stuff stands out to me. And so I'm going to repeat this last line because it just shook me when I first read it. I got goosebumps. Being converted to Jesus is not just about learning to obey some rules. Being converted to Jesus is learning to so adore God that we would gladly renounce everything we have to follow him. All right, that's what Joe was talking about earlier, and I just want to harp on that. That is so true. Um, and so when we're talking about the missing gospel, it's kind of like a, whoa, like maybe, hopefully you think it's a cool title. I think it's pretty cool. But also you're probably like, what does he mean? And I don't mean that we don't understand the gospel up here. You know, I think we hear the gospel message over and over again. We hear the, the word gospel over and over again. So I think our heads our minds, not our heads, our minds understand what it is. But what I'm talking about is maybe we are missing that it's the power and experience, the power and experience of it for ourselves personally, for the church. I think that maybe there might be some of us who are missing it, right? And, and Joe laid it out so well this morning. So a lot of this might sound like Joe. Well, that's just because Joe's really smart and he knows the Lord really well. And so for, um, in order for us to do this, 
to come to, to taste that honey, not just to know that it's sweet, but to taste that it's sweet. Um, we just have to recognize that the gospel is personal. It's something that we can experience, right? It's not just something that happened thousands of years ago and we just get to reap the reward of it now, which that is true, but we can make it, but it's personal to us, right? When Jesus did that thousands of years ago, when he went to the cross and paid that price for us, it wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't just head knowledge. He had the knowledge. He knew that he had to do it, um, but it was relational, right? And Hebrews Hebrews 12, one through three, it says, therefore, since we are, and this is a good encouragement, by the way, so write down this verse because it's good to come back to. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such great opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It says that he did that for the joy before him, right? That sounds relational to me, right? I do, I do things for people that I, that I love, people I have a relationship with for joy, not because I'm obligated to. Um, and I think another way that I can look at this is if you think, what is the best deal of all time? The best trade, right? Getting a free car, is that the best deal of all time in human history? No, it's a pretty good one, right? Um, that trade for Brett Favre, was that the best deal of all time? Pretty good one. <laughs> I think it worked out for us. I don't think it's the best of all time though. Um, I think the best deal of all times that while we're sinners and while we screw up every day and every single day we accrue more and more debt, Jesus pays the bill every single day, right? We don't have to, all we have to do is admit that he is the Lord of our lives. We need to love him um, and he pays our debt for us. That's a pretty sick deal. And when I think about what's the best deal that I've ever received personally, right? Uh, I would say after freshman year, my car broke down. I needed a new one. So I go to car dealerships and they say, okay, well, cheapest car we have, six grand, five grand, eight grand, right? Okay, well, that's not the best deal for me. Uh, like a used places, maybe four grand, but you never know what you're gonna get. Maybe that's not the best deal. Craigslist, too big of a skeptic, not doing that. But then lastly, the car that I now drive was given to me from my grandparents for free. That would be the best deal. Free car works from my grandparents. And why was that the best deal? Because I don't think my grandparents, although they're amazing, I don't think they'd do that for anybody in the world. So what, what about that? Why me? Well, we have a relationship. They love me. <laughs> and so they give me a better deal. And so I think that's a good way, a perspective that I got. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for that, that it's a relationship that Jesus had when he went to the cross, right? He gave us such a good deal. He gave us this discounted, crazy deal because he loves us. He has this relationship with us and he wants to help us out, right? And with this relationship, it's gonna produce fruit in your life. And when I first heard that, I was weirded out because I like to eat unhealthy, or at least I used to. I'm working on it. Uh, and so fruit, it's gonna produce fruit. Maybe it's gonna produce tacos. <laughs> or it's going to produce burgers or something, but fruit didn't quite understand it. Um, <laughs> but this fruit is produced by intimate and loving encounters with Jesus 
not by obeying rules and um, obligations that it, you are told to do. Now you're going to have good things happen to you if you follow the rules because I think the Bible has a lot of good moral uh, rules in it, but it's this relationship that's going to transform your heart, right? So, in, in, and Paul addresses this in Romans. He says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God, right? So if we, if we break this down, just this little section, we died with the law, so we died with the law, so that we might belong to another, belong to another, so we have a relationship with another. I'm going to let you in. That's Jesus. Just going to let you know. So we belong to Jesus, him who raised from the dead. That's why we know it's Jesus. And then why is that we have that relationship with him? So that we can bear fruit for God, right? So with this relationship with Jesus, we will bear fruit. This is another little section from that book, Gospel. It's going to come back on the screen. A little title if you want to buy it. Uh, go for it. doesn't help me out in any way. They are not a sponsor, but uh, we're going to work on that. Uh, this is, uh, it's going to, this passage that I'm about to read might sound a little weird because um, it is. <laughs> I think it's a good depiction, um, but here we go. When we make our home in God's love, feeling it, saturating ourselves with it, reflecting on it, standing in awe of it, Spiritual fruit begins to spring up naturally from us like roses on a rose bush. That's not weird at all. Sounds amazing. This guy should write poetry. Beautiful. Could have been a psalmist maybe. But here we go. Here we go. Spiritual, spiritual fruit, as you see, is produced in the same way physical fruit is. When a man and a woman conceive physical fruit, a child, they're usually not thinking about the mechanics of making that child. Rather, they get caught up in a moment of intimacy with one another, and the fruit of that loving intimacy is a child. In the same way, spiritual fruit isn't made by focusing on the commands of spiritual growth, rather by having loving encounters with Jesus. Right? We, we don't have to think about the specific things that we need to do. Okay, if I do this and I serve in this way and I do this, that means that I'll get the fruit. The fruit is just having loving moments with Jesus. And so... We're focusing on this relationship a lot. And we don't, I just want a disclaimer, knowledge is not bad at all. It's good to have knowledge of the Bible. It's good to have knowledge and truth. It's good to have the, that head knowledge. But I just want to show you areas in which knowledge can fail us because sometimes our authorities get uh, put out of whack, right? And so I have this cool uh, survey that was shared with me. And it's some statistics. It's the 2020, I'm going to say, Legionnaire Ministries State of Theology Survey. Okay? And there are four things that these, um, that these Christians, there are four things that they needed to agree were true facts in their life in order for this, to take the survey. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority of what I believe. Great. It is very important for me to, personally, to encourage non-believers to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin, and only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Those sound good, huh? These people are born-again believing Christians, right? And these are some of the results that we had. 30% 
believed that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 30%. 18% believe that the Holy Spirit can tell them and lead them to do something that is forbidden in the Bible. 16% believe that works are required to be fully righteous by God. And 42%, 42% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That is pretty eye-opening. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought uh, that Andy was lying to me or he made it up, but checks out, looked into it. And so 40, that, the last one just tripped me up. 42% believe that God accepts all religions, the worship of all of them, and that everyone will make it to heaven if you believe in one of these religions, right? And so if we can't trust in head knowledge, if we can't trust what authorities say to us, pastors, whether it's Michael Todd or Stephen Furtick, right? I remember when I first got saved, anything Stephen Furtick said, that was holy and that was exactly right. That's what, that was my thought process. And I had a learning, a learning, a learning pain in that. Um, but so if we can't trust in our authorities, we can't trust in our head knowledge, then what do we trust in, right? I think you know where I'm going. Uh, it's one of the most popular scriptures, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. This is where I want to put my trust in. <laughs> I don't want to trust the news. I don't want to trust um, obscure pieces of scripture that pastors will use to try to uh, have me feel one way or the other, which lots of times that works out and is really good and they're making good points, but sometimes they aren't. I want to trust the Lord with my decisions. And I'm one that always asks for advice. I'm always asking opinions like, hey, I want to do this thing. What do you think? What do you think I should do? I ask so many people that question, except for, and sometimes I won't ask the people that I know will give me good advice <laughs> uh, because I know that they'll tell me what I don't want to hear. I usually ask people that tell me what I want to hear. And that in itself is why we can't trust other people or ourselves because <laughs> you're not going to get the best advice. Um, and so we got to trust the Lord. And how, but how do we make this personal? How do we make this real and authentic? Well, that looks different for everybody, right? How can we do it in a way that works for us? I've heard um, there was a, a football player at UW-Whitewater. He came and spoke at youth group once. And he said he encounters the Lord most intensely when he goes fishing. And he was, he was not kidding. I, I thought he was kidding, but he was very serious. He said, I go fishing once a week, if not more. And when I'm there and I'm on the water, it's so peaceful. And I encounter Jesus in a whole new way. And that really opened my eyes to different things. Because I've always heard the spiritual disciplines, which you will definitely feel the Holy Spirit in those. You will grow in those. Worship. I mean, you've probably seen me jumping up and down. You've probably seen me hooting and hollering. I can encounter the Holy Spirit during worship. I can during prayer. I can when I read my Bible. Jesus meets me when I read the word and he helps me understand what the heck is going on. You see in the Bible, in the New Testament, you see that Jesus will leave the group and he'll go pray uh, to the Father one-on-one, -on -one, setting that example of spending alone time with your Father in order to create that relationship. Um, me personally, I go for walks. I just did it yesterday. 
My roommates can attest to it. <laughs> I went for a walk yesterday because I was getting somewhat overwhelmed. I was getting distracted and I needed to zone in on Jesus for this, for this message and the PowerPoint and to prepare my heart for this. So I went for a walk. I live out in the country. And so walking out in nature and listening to worship music while I walk, that will get me into the presence of God. And so it's different for everybody. So I just encourage you to find what works, right? I think spiritual disciplines is a great way to start, but pray, what, where can I encounter you, God, most vividly, most intensely, and grow with you? I, I do it in the car too. Car rides, listening to worship music, woo! Especially if there's no one in the car. If there's people in the car, then sometimes I won't. But when I can belt and cry at the same time, my, my heart is being transformed in some way. Um, and so that's, how we come, but how do we, but when we go, as we go and make disciples, right? Because we are already disciples and Jesus calls us to go. How do we do that? How do we do that in a way that's real, that's authentic? Um, how can we share this in a way that's real? And I really struggled with that when I first got saved. Um, there's lots of wrong ways that you can share the gospel. Let me tell you some, because I have a lot. Tell people that they're going to go to hell if they don't believe in God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Even if you get tempted into doing it, which I did a lot. So if you don't know, a lot of my family is unbelievers. A lot of my friends are not believers at home. And I would get tempted all the time. So Zach, you think if I don't believe in Jesus that I'm going to go to hell? Oh, yeah, you are. Or sometimes I would say, this is what I'd say, this is, this is a couple of years ago. This is not me now, but I would say, they'd say, if uh, um, I don't believe in Jesus, that means I'm going to hell. And my answer would always be, hell yeah, you are. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> Does not work out. Did not win people to Jesus by doing that. <laughs> Another thing is just spouting knowledge to family members. Did not work telling them, oh, Jesus is so good. Jesus is so kind. Just do it. Dip your feet in, like it's gonna be so great. That never, they don't believe me because they don't believe in Jesus. So why would, why would that be a factual thing if they've, they don't know him, you know? And that's where I was uh, a couple of years ago. I was lost and it wasn't friends telling me Jesus is good that made me come to Jesus because I didn't believe them because I didn't believe Jesus was real. It was seeing them live out their lives, living out the fruit of their lives and Paul addresses this in Romans. Romans again. We're going to go to Romans 1. Uh, verse 5 says, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Um, and then 116, uh, 116 is, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Mine says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Right, if you're not ashamed and you just live it out, that is the real and authentic way to do it, to walk the walk, right? I think the, the not, maybe not the number one, but it's certainly up there. The number one problem that the world has with Christians is that they're hypocrites. You hear it all the time. They're Pharisees, right? We know them as Pharisees. The world calls them hypocrites. That they say, do not drink alcohol. It's horrible for you. But then you'll bump into them at the liquor store. 
right? It's hypocritical. That it's, I've, been, I've seen it in my own family. Grandparents, hypocritical. Don't swear. Swearing's terrible. And then five minutes later, after they've had a cold one, <laughs> and then Aaron Rodgers throws an, or Brett Favre throws an interception, because Aaron Rodgers doesn't do that. But when Brett Favre throws an interception, you hear some words come out. <laughs> and so I think if we can just be real, right? I also did this. I would, <laughs> oh my God, I'm just being real with you guys today, I guess. This is a, I'm telling you ways not to do this. Remember, this is not how I'm recommending to do it. Uh, two years ago, summer, I've just been saved and I'm trying to get my family saved. I'm on a mission. I'm at a family bonfire preaching the gospel to my family while I'm intoxicated. That is what we're talking about. Hypocritical. <laughs> change your lives. Jesus will change your life. <laughs> Not a good look. And so, but if we can be real with each other, right? It was, it was seeing 18 through 22 year olds, same age as me. It was seeing them say, I'm not going out. I'm not going out on a Saturday night. I'm not going to stay up late on a Saturday night because I have church in the morning. And that's more important than anything else. Or I've had friends when I, before I was saved where it's like, come on, like, let's go do this. And they're like, actually this week I haven't spent enough one-on-one time with the Lord and I just, I just need that. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Or seeing worship, that was tough. Listening to music and I thought it was just really pretty music, but then seeing people get on their knees, seeing Kevin is the original jumper, seeing Kevin jump up and down. He can jump higher than I can. Uh, seeing people get, yeah, get down on their knees, put their hands up. I'm like, what is going on? That's what really flipped the script for me. And that's what opened conversations because then I came with questions. I was like, why are you doing that? Why do you lift your hands when you sing? That's so weird. We're not in a concert, buddy. And they're like, oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Or you need one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus for your week? Why? Just do it next week. Nope, I need it. I need to get filled up. I need to spend that one-on-one -on -one time. That is what got me because I saw the fruit of that. I saw them doing it and I saw the fruit. I had a neighbor in my dorm room who was kinder than anyone I had ever met and genuinely wanted to get to know me, even though I was lame and not a good guy. And still, day after day, Hey, Zach, how's it going? So good to see you. And it was genuine. <laughs> Shook me. So weird. And I'm a skeptic, like I mentioned before. Craigslist, skeptic. Ghost hunting TV shows, skeptic. If you've ever seen Ghost Adventures with Zach Baggins, don't believe it. <laughs> He's freaking out over nothing. Amen. And so, yeah. And so when I told my family that I believed in Jesus, they were, they were shook because they're like, but Zach, you're a skeptic. How do you believe in that? And I was like, let me tell you, let me tell you about these experiences that I've had that I can't explain. All right. And then they thought I was Zach Baggins for a little while, but we're getting there. <laughs> and so as disciples, which again, say I'm a disciple of Jesus. Okay. Okay. You realized halfway through that you need to spice it up. We're getting there. <laughs> so as disciples, we need to come to Jesus first. Get that relationship with him. That's where I'm recommending that you start, no matter where you're at. Come back to the root. Come back to him. Let's rekindle this relationship. Go on a date with him, right? What does that look like? Go on a walk with him. Go on a hike, right? Good first date, go on a hike. Well, I do that with Jesus on the, on the weekly, <laughs> 
And as you are meeting with him, as you're gaining, growing this relationship, I mean, I think it's true in physical, like personal relationships too. Relationships change you, right? You hear that all the time. Be careful who your friends are because whoever your friends are, that's who you, you're going to be. Uh, be careful who you date because they're going to change you. Oh, you changed so much once you started dating that person. It's like that Jesus is like that, but on steroids, right? Jesus is going to change you if you have a relationship with him but he's going to make you new and he's going to make you better than you were before. All right, so get into that relationship, have him transform you, which he will do. And then out of that transformation, go out into the world. You're going to be noticed. The Bible calls us light bearers, right? We're, we're a, a, a candle in a dimly lit room that you can't extinguish. And it shines so brightly that people notice. It's real. I've seen it. I've seen it for myself, seeing when I didn't know Jesus, I've seen people be a light and I've been a light to others where they are like, what is that? What is going on? And share with people in a real and organic way. You know, sometimes we can do the surveys like, hey, can we have a conversation? Like, hey, do you know Jesus? Go door to door. Sometimes that works, I guess, because the Holy Spirit is more powerful than, than those surveys are. That's why it works. <laughs> not because these surveys are really clever because I've seen a lot of them and a lot of them are not. They're not very good conversation starters. But if we can be real and organic with our experiences that we have because we're actually living it out, that's when we're going to see people start to get transformed because they see the transformation in us. And so today I just want to end with reading a little bit out of a psalm. Uh, I really like ending in psalms. So that's another thing. You're going to hear sports from me. You're going to hear me repeat things. And you're going to hear psalms because I think psalms are really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can clap for the psalms, the sports and the repeating stuff you don't have to clap for. That's just me. <laughs> um, so I just want to end with, it's just two verses out of Psalm 96 because uh, I, I knew this was going to take a, quite a bit of time. And so I'm going to read these two psalms and then I'm going to pray. But it says, sing to the Lord, praise his name. We did that today. Did we not? We sure did. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Do that every day. Proclaim his salvation. In prayer, thank him for it. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Right? In this psalm, verses 1 and 2, you sing, you get connected to the Lord. Proclaim him yourself. And then declare his glory among the nations. Jesus, Lord, thank you for, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that it's not just an act that happened thousands of years ago, but that it is alive today. Lord, that it can be real for all of us and it can be personal. Jesus, the thing that sets you apart from everything else is that you love us so much and you want to get to know us. You want us to get to know you and you want that relationship to happen. And so we as a church right now, we commit to that. We declare to that, Jesus, we will meet you. We'll meet you halfway there. Lord, you, you said that you're going to meet us. We'll come meet you. We'll take you up on that offer. Lord, that we'll begin to see the gospel as something that we can live out daily. Lord, that we can, we can come to you. We can have this relationship with you, that it can transform who we are, and Lord, that you will use that transformation, that you will transform us for a purpose, for a reason, and Lord, that you will use that transformation.
to send us out so that others will see, others will be encouraged or inspired and that they will come to know you as well just through that relationship, God. Lord, I think we come up with so many clever ways to try to reach people. And Lord, I thank you that we have a lot of different ways to do that. And a lot of those work because of you, Jesus. So we thank you for that. But also just simply having a relationship with you will grow us and it will also help others come to you. And Lord, I thank you so much because that's what you desire. And Lord, we declare right now in this moment that we commit to that. Lord, I pray as we step out of this building that your presence does not die out. Lord, I pray that this thick presence of your Holy Spirit that was here this morning, that it will stay inside of us throughout our week. Lord, that we can operate on full from the second that we leave this building and throughout our week because we constantly have your Spirit inside of us continuously filling us up as a renewable energy source that does not die down. Jesus, you are so good and you are so worth getting to know. We love you. We praise in your name. Amen.